Really what it comes down to is understanding some of the stories of the individual soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines that have sacrificed. Realize the kind of attributes they bring that only makes the whole team better. I served in uniform not because I was underprivileged. Uh, rather, it was because of conviction of love of country and the American way of life. If I hadn't gone through a lot of the traumatic things in Iraq, Afghanistan, just even at home, probably would not have made it through that night. No, somebody didn't need me, but somebody just took the time to care. For me, the most memorable events I've ever seen involved the United States military. No matter where they were called upon, no matter where their duties would take them, they acted swiftly, without any hesitation, or mental reservations to answer our nation's call to action. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor and privilege to welcome you to the Patriot Podcast. My name is Chris Obermeyer. I'm the sponsor of Patriot and the host of this podcast. Now, before we get started and learn a little bit more about Lillane, I want to take some time and showcase who Patriot is, highlight some of the previous events that we've held, and provide some insights on what this podcast is about. So Patriot is a veteran's ERG, and our mission statement is, we are a community of one who aspire to continue to serve and honor those who have served our country. Currently, we have 10 teammates on the Patriot ERG team who represent both Omaha and retail offices. Some of the teammates have served, others have family members who have served, And some of the teammates serve because they are passionate about giving back to their country and veterans. Now, some of you might be asking, what's the purpose of the podcast? Well, the purpose is to showcase Farm Credit Services of America and Frontier Farm Credit teammates and family members who have and continue to serve our nation by creating opportunities to learn about them and the time that they spent in uniform. Other deliverables are to create a level of awareness of Patriot-sponsored activities, introduce military leadership philosophies, create a level of awareness of veterans-related topics, such as military benefits, enlistment entrance options, and a host of other veteran-related topics. Previously, over the past few years, Patriot has sponsored numerous events, such as Memorial Day Remembrance events, Veterans Day, and 9-11 events, with notable keynotes such as Steve Russell, Rocky Blyer, Nebraska Senator Tom Brewer. Former Army Ranger Chris Peranto gave his compelling story of his time spent in Benghazi. Former Air Force One Colonel Mark Tillman spoke to us at the All-ERG conference about his time that he spent flying President Bush around on 9-11. Transitioning from the military is often stressful. Whether you have served four years or 20, while there are resources available, they are often delivered as a crash course, leaving service members with many questions. Learning from years of feedback, the Department of Defense created the SkillBridge program. Each year, approximately 200,000 service members stationed in over 140 military installations in the U.S. and overseas will separate from active duty. History tells us that too many of these transitioning service members will struggle to find employment after leaving the military. Approximately 35,000 represent the amount of service members 
who are stationed within our geographical footprint. 6,000 is the number of service members who will separate or retire annually. Learning about some of the challenges that veterans face, 76% say that their transition was stressful. 52% say it was confusing. And more staggering is the employment gaps, especially between men and women. So the data tells us that there is definitely room for improvement. And in 1991, the DOD created the Transition Assistance Program, which consisted of a two-day crash course for separating service members, and the tracks cover numerous topics that include how to pursue additional education, how do you find a job, for those teammates who want to start their own business, a lesson on entrepreneurship, and various other tracks. But with the interest of time, they will not go into many details, and often it leaves the service members with a lot of questions. So recognizing to do more, the Department of Defense wanted to fill the transition gap and created the SkillBridge program to provide focus emphasis on assisting members with their transition to civilian opportunities. This program provides retiring and separating service members the opportunity to participate in industry training programs while transitioning out of their military careers. Military members can participate in SkillBridge during the last 180 days of service, and spouses can take part also while their partner serves on active duty. So with all that being said, it's really time to get to the heart of the podcast and give you an opportunity to learn about our special guest, United States Air Force Master Sergeant and SkillBridge intern, Lelaine Flores. Welcome again, Lelaine. Thanks again, Chris. Glad to be here. So, Lelaine, what I would like to do is let's start from the very beginning and let's learn a little bit about yourself. And to start with, you know, tell us, you know, where you're from originally. I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hawaii in 1997 with my dad. Uh, we were farmers in the Philippines. And then he moved to a different like uh, region in the Philippines where he met my mom um, in the other side of the, the Luzon. And um, he was working at the mining company. And uh, later on, he moved back to his hometown, which is where he knew what best, which is farming. So I, I was born in that area. At one point, he was named you know, Farmer of the Year in 1980, which is I was just born then. And fast forward uh, throughout the, those years, he did uh, the tobacco, he did um, tomatoes, uh, rice, and you name it, different uh, types of vegetables, and to include uh, poultry, and then we also have swine. So we left that in the Philippines and moved back to Hawaii without anything. So uh, it just, my, my dad and I uh, first, and then my, my mom and my siblings, they followed along. Uh, my dad waited 25 years because of his family uh, during the early 1900s. They, um, they moved to Hawaii for, to plant uh, in the sugarcane plantation. And then his parents, they were there for maybe like five years or more. So the other children were born in, the, in Hawaii, in Big Island. And then they went back after that. So in 1975, when Hawaii became a state, and they said, oh, anyone who's born in, in Hawaii is an automatic citizen. So all of my uncles and aunties in 1975, they migrated to Hawaii, except for my, my dad and then two others, because they weren't born in the Philippines. So we waited 25 years. So I was 17 years, years old when I went to Hawaii. 
And that's that's so interesting. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that story. Um, you know, I think it speaks volumes, right, to your family members and your dad. Uh, one, as people know, agriculture, that's a tough life. And you can probably attest to that as a kid. I'm sure you had maybe one or two chores, which I'm curious to know, you know, what kind of chores did you have? Um, there, there's nine of us in the family, and I believe my dad strategically I think plan that because uh, at one um, when it's time for us to harvest, uh, let's say poultry, right? Because we 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 did poultry, and then my dad would say, "Okay, you guys go to sleep now." And in the middle of the night, we will uh, when the truck will come and pick up all the the the, the chickens. He need help harvesting the chickens, uh-huh. so um, we would wake up uh, in the middle of the night just to help my uh, my dad because that's what we do. And uh, yeah, we just listen. We just listen to our, our the order. It's like a, taking orders now. I, in, being in the military, so we didn't have any choice at that time, even though we're young. But this is just to help our our dad. And one thing I know, it's it's very uh, in, like challenging and difficult too because we have the poultry, and at the same time, we also have the farm. And uh, growing up, we don't always have you know. Uh, money to farm our land. It's given me a reflection because being here at Farm Credit Services of America, the way of the organization, Ryan, it's, I could see like a small part when I was a little kid. But me at that time, I just went with my parents um, because I like to eat. You know, they, <laughs> they would meet people and after meeting people, they would have like lunch or dinner. I would go with them knowing that, okay, maybe after their meeting with people like the, the bank, I would, you know, I would get some food after. And then uh, I would just sit down and um, look at my parents, they're talking to the bank. And then during that time, they were part of this called a cooperative. And um, my dad and my mom would, it's part of the, like a, the board. So they would uh, talk to the bank and then they would get the fund and then they would uh, give it to the farmers. And then I was just like, okay, it's just uh, work that my dad, you know, and my, my mom did. And growing up, I now I could see the big picture being here. It just gave me a reflection that, oh, wow, now I have understanding of what is the big picture of uh, being farmer. Um, because before, we didn't have much, but when talking to people, especially the bank, we will have money to farm, and at the end of that one, we will have uh, money, you know, harvest. And then that's my dad, uh, nine, nine of us. He uh, sent us, we have food in the table, and then that's how he sent his children to go to school. And uh, it's just nice to see that here. I can see it now how um, the Farm Credit Service of America, they helped the farmers, and we were at one point, were part of that. And um, now I understand, looking back, it's, it's, it's just nice to see it. It's just nice to have the understanding. Sure. No, what a great story. I appreciate you sharing all of that. Then as you transition, as you went to Hawaii, you know, so that's a new discovery there. And you go through, and you said you went through when you were 17, and then high school. So leading up to the time before you went into the military, what led you to go that route? Did you have any family members who had served, any friends? Tell me a little bit about that decision. 
I have a, a distant relative and um, joined the military was not in my mind because I, I didn't think I was, it was for me. But my friend, she asked me one day, it was in my senior year, uh, senior year and then she said, hey, um, why don't you uh, come join the, mil- join the military? And I was like, no, I don't think it's for me. So no, just go ahead and uh, take you know, the ASBAB in the library, and then I have a recruiter, let's go together. Because she said she wants somebody to go with her. And I was like, no, I don't think it's, it's me. And then just do it anyway. So, so I did, I, went, I took the test, and then we, were, uh, we had a recruiter. We were already signed up. I signed, uh, I signed up for um, four years. And a week prior to us leaving, June 9th, and then she said, oh, I can't go because she has a medical issue. And then she wanted me to maybe postpone it two weeks later. And I said, no, I already quit McDonald's. And I said, I don't want to go back to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, fast forward, I went by myself, and she never did. I saw her uh, six years later in Washington when I was stationed at McCord. And um, she said, you owe me. I said, yes, thank you. I owe you a big time. That's awesome. So... What led you to join the Air Force? Was there a reason that you joined the Air Force versus any of the other branches? I went to a career fair in my high school one day, and um, I just went into the Air Force. The recruiter came in, and I still remember she she came in during our career fair, and uh, she was wearing her uh, blues. She looked so sharp, and I said, I want to be that person. But I didn't think it, it was for me, Dan. It's just like, you know, a dream. I said... Oh, she looked so sharp. I want to be that person. She was in her blues carrying her um, her luggage because of she's a recruiter. So I just sat sat in her room. Um, I just didn't realize it. You know, it wasn't for me. I just went. I, I was just curious. I went in and then I saw the video, and then not knowing, my friend would ask me later. So, um, but yeah, that's that's how I um, I didn't have any preference at that time, but because of my friend, she said, oh, let's go join the Air Force, and she wants somebody to go with her. Sure. No, that's interesting. And I asked because, as you've known, you know, you meet lots of people who join the military, but a lot of times they'll say, oh, the Marine Corps, because hands down, they have the best service dress uniform, right? Yes. And the recruiters come in, they're all dressed sharp. You're like, oh, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. So it's hard. So that's why I always ask the question, you know, was it your first choice or did you him and haw about it and then decide later on, ah, I want to go to this branch or the other. But it's nice to hear that you went to the Air Force right away. Yes. So you go ahead and you listen to the Air Force. And as you know, we all go through lovely Lackland Air Force Base down in San Antonio, Texas. And depending on the time of the year, it could be extremely hot which makes for things to be a little bit more challenging. So throughout your time in basic training at Lackland, are there one or two things that you can think about that were most memorable to yourself? And would you mind sharing what those stories are? Sure. I was scared as as soon as I got off the bus because this military training instructor came yelling, uh, yelling at me because he was 
telling me I need to cuff my hands and put it on the side, which I didn't do it. I was just looking around, looking at everybody because I was curious, you know, like it's my first time coming from Hawaii or coming from the Philippines and Hawaii. And it's my first time coming into mainland. We call Texas or mainland from Hawaii. So so I was looking around. I was excited. But then I didn't realize I'm in basic training. This is my first time coming into mainland. And, and he's like, cuff your hands. And I was like, OK. And then um, I was going up the stairs and then I was scared and then I I, I blacked out but I didn't want to blacked out because I'm scared <laughs> but then at the end of that one through those hardship as you know going through the basic training I've learned a lot of things in fact being in the military I think that's the most memorable thing because I've learned and it changed me and it changed me for the better and then that's why I stayed in 24 years, because after that one, after the training, and then after another training, and then I'm starting to like being in the military or love being in the military. Sure. Yeah, I think I think one of the, the neatest things there is that no matter where you're from, we have all different walks of life. And the goal was for everybody to, to be in unison, right? Yes. That we're all doing the same thing the same way. From something as simple as cuffing your hands to those first few days and when we're out there marching. Yes. And they say left face and you're like, what's that? And people are going 10 different directions. And the result of those behaviors typically was some sort of PT. Mm-hmm. To at the end of the, the time when you're graduating and you march on those parade grounds and everybody's just in lockstep, step for step, doing everything the right way, looking sharp. It's a pretty proud moment when you finally get to the finish line there. Yes. But as you know, that's only the beginning, right? Yes. So I think it's important to know that you go to different schools, et cetera, as you transition. So let's spend a little bit of time there. So you graduated basic training at Lackland. Mm -hmm. Where did you go next? My first station was off at Air Force Base. I remember I was in tech school. My friend and I said, hey, we got our orders. And then you know where we're going? I said, no, I'm excited, where are we going? Her name is Shimon. Shimon was like, Valencia, that's my last name. We call our, we call each other uh, with our last name. I said, Valencia, we are going here. And then she's coming from Louisiana. And I said, where is here? And then right here at the map. And it says, Offit Air Force Base NE. And I said to me, because I, it was my first time in the mainland, I said, what's N-E? <laughs> I wasn't for it. Oh, in my mind, I have something else uh, thinking. I said, New England? I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, no, no, that's not a place. N-E, it snows in there. I said, I don't like, you know, being in the snow. And then, to me, I was so excited because it's a new place coming to Alfred Air Force Base. I was just excited. So your travels took you from, the, from Hawaii down to basic training in Texas, San Antonio, San Antonio, you end up at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. So much different environment then. So throughout the travels, can you tell us where are some of the other places that you've been stationed? The, my first station was here in Offutt Air Force Base. And then after that one, we moved to McCord Air Force Base in Washington State. Before we moved to Washington Air Force Base, I met my husband. I met him in the dining facility at Offutt. So we got married. And he got an assignment to McCord Air Force Base. So we traveled from here to McCord. And after McCord, we moved on to Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada. And uh, we spent, I think, 
eight years, eight years in Nevada. And after Nevada, we went to Stuttgart in AFRICOM, Africa Command in Stuttgart, Germany. And after Germany, that was in 2018, we were back here off at Air Force Base. And I've been here since 2018. And I think that's interesting with the transition, you know, bunch of different states, start your career here, mm-hmm. and then we're going to retire out of Offutt also. Yes, uh, we, we weren't planning it. We were going back to Vegas, which is in Nevada. And um, I think that's one thing that changed our mindset was 2019, after my deployment to Qatar, for some reason I just missed Nebraska. And I was like, this is weird. I should not miss Nebraska because, you know, we were expecting to to retire here. We've been to different places. We've been different parts of the, the country or, or the world, including deployments, right? But coming back here became like home to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was at the time, but to me, in my heart, it's it's a home. So I think it means time. a lot too, right? And, and to go back to a place you've already uh, been stationed before, it makes a big difference, right? You minimize a lot of the anxieties that go along with it. You know, you know where you're going. You know the layout of the base. You know the different associate units. You know the communities. If you have kids and they're going to school, et cetera, it makes life so much easier, not just for the service member, but also for the spouse and kids. So I think that helps out tremendously when you're given an opportunity to do that. So when you come back here to Offit and currently now, I think it'd be good to talk a little bit about your current role. If you can tell us about your role, the teammates that you lead, the mission of the squadron. So my role is I am the section chief of force management and uh, I lead five team members. My role is to uh, make sure that the teammates or the military members we process their performance or appraisal, a yearly one, and we service 6,500 active duty military members. And then on top of that one, we make sure that their military records is uh, they're up to date. And with that, we make sure that all their deployments, their duty statuses, or any duty history we make sure that it's updated in the system because what happened is when we get those records updated in the system, they do um, yearly a promotion board. So when a service member get promoted, they review their military record. And then our uh, responsibility in that section is to make sure that those are corrected in the system prior to the promotion. Sure. And you've done a, a masterful job describing those duties But as you and I both know, there's other duties as assigned is what I would like to call them. And there's always more, right? Yes. So maybe showcase, you know, sometimes, you know, we hear military is a 24-7 job. What are some of the other things that you participate in and ask to do? I have done uh, help our first sergeant. The first sergeant that I I helped, he was having a surgery. So uh, with that one, it's 24 hours. You have to carry the cell phone. And uh, make sure that no one calls. Fortunately, I didn't have any phone calls in the middle of the night because um, anytime that, f- that phone calls rings, you have to make sure that you're awake and then you have to be ready and then get on that, whoever's on the other line. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And those are never usually good phone calls when you get them. Exactly. Yes. So the main reason we all serve 
is from that first day when remember when you go to the MEPS office and it's the entrance processing facility and you go in there and you, you get your physical, but then before it's all said and done, you raise your right hand. And, and part of that oath is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I know from previous experience that you've spent some time being deployed. Yes. If you could, please tell us a little bit about those times you were deployed, maybe the location, just a little bit about the mission. I had five deployments, and, and my first deployment was in 2010. It's called um, Escort. This is where you escort the foreign national doing the job. And we make, because every time we deployed, there are always a project, let's say a flight line, they're trying to fix a flight line. And then since we don't have a logistic or manpower to do that. So in Kyrgyzstan, we escort people coming in and out to make sure that they're just doing their job and not doing anything else. I did that for four months from January till uh, May of 2010. And at that time, my husband is also deploying, and then we have two children. My son was, I believe, seven years old, and my daughter, she was uh, five years old. And then my second deployment in 2012, this this was in Bagram, Afghanistan, which is, I met you, Chris, in, in Bagram. So at that time, February of 2012 until July of 2012, and uh, we did accountability, and we did uh, make sure that the people that are coming in, that they don't have any issue to make sure that we fill all the position or the deployment uh, slot for all the, the units in Afghanistan. And my third one was in Camp Bastion, Afghanistan. And then I, I saw you. I saw you in Kyrgyzstan. I was passing through to go to uh, Camp Bastion. Uh-huh. And I said, hey, Chris, what are you doing here? I said, we just, we just left in July of 2012. And right. that was May, May of 2013. And then I saw you. We're not supposed to deploy, but again, um, because they need our bodies to mm-hmm. fill those positions. Sometimes, uh, as you know, too, Chris, that even though we're not assigned or tasked to go, but because of other people on medical issues, we pick up those jobs so we can still continue the mission. So I went in. I only get three days. Uh, yeah, three days notice. And then it's right after I, I took my oath to serve for another six years. And they got me and said, okay, you're deploying. So, okay, so I went in. My husband was in Sigonella, um, Italy. He was just coming back from deployment. So basically we just high-fived. So he came back, and then and then I left for deployment. And I did that for uh, six months this time. So I was in Camp Bastion. And I did accountability and uh, a little bit of manpower and a lot of decoration Decoration is uh, because I supported HH60. Uh, uh, Those are the pararescue people. That mission is to re- rescue people in that area and around Camp Bastion. And my um, fourth deployment was in Qatar in a senior um, or leader position there. Uh, there were 19 personnel or HR uh, equivalent and I think that was one of my best deploy, uh, deployment because at the same time, too, we can go outside this time. The, uh, the previous three deployments, we were just inside the base or the camp. But then this time, I was able to go up base and, and um, enjoy the, the beauty of you know the, the country, the Qatar. And um, my fifth deployment, which is my last deployment, was in Kenya. 
But before we went to Kenya, we passed through Djibouti first. And then Kenya, there's nothing there. It was just a small camp inside a, a naval a naval base, a Kenyan base. When I found out about that deployment, uh, my husband was hesitant because I was going to go to Djibouti. And then next thing you know, I was diverted to Kenya. And then my husband said, oh, I'm going to go to Kenya. I'm going to go to Africa. I've always wanted to go to uh, Africa because I came from Africa, which I never had a chance to go. And so I was excited, but my husband, you know him, he's always looking up something in the internet. And he said, I, I don't think that's a good place. I said, why not? And then he said, uh, two years ago, which is 2020, it was the, the base was attacked. Um, yeah, the camp was attacked. So he said, I don't think it's a good, pl- a good base. And I said, no, I, I'm going to try. You know, it's, um, I'm just going to go there and see. Moving forward, it gave me like, different perspective in life. Being there, we have food to eat, we have a good internet, but there's nothing. So the small things that we have, we learn to share. I felt grateful after the deployment because it's just, I can live by nothing. It's just, you know, like being with other people and uh, being in a small, tight community. It just gives you a a reflection that it's like a sabbatical. It's like Mm -hmm. a break from everything that you don't realize what you have good in the States is you just, you've been taking it, I've been taking it for granted. Sure. Not having anything while, while in that camp. It's just it, like a lot of material things that's not important. Absolutely. It's just, you know, like your family, it's like a small portion of, you know, what you have is, is enough. And then the people who became so close. And then I think that's, it's a relationship that you mm-hmm. build with other people. And then sometimes that is enough, even though you're far away from from the U.S. Sure. Yeah, I can definitely relate to you. And I, and I find it interesting that sometimes under the most austere conditions that you can still find moments to reflect and provide that provide peace and gratitude and, and thanksgiving, right? Yes. You know, I can remember years ago I was on a deployment and it was in a, a sensitive place. It was a third world country. And the locals were poverty stricken. So I became friends with a little girl who I'll never forget. Her name was Isabella. And I can remember I would give her components of my MRE. And for those of you who don't know, those are meals ready to eat. They're prepackaged meals that we would kind of live off of for the time being. And what I would do, there was an old Russian air traffic control tower. I would give her the meal, and I would go back up in the tower. And when I look out into the field, I would see her sharing that with all these little kids. And that became our thing for the months that I was there. And and it just really brought things uh, into reality for myself. And it just gave me an opportunity to reflect and to give back, right? And to think about, you know, our culture as Americans and how many things we do take for granted each and every day. Yes. And we just go about our days, right? Yes. So that brought back that memory. So thank you for sharing your memory with me, giving me an opportunity to reflect a little bit there. You're welcome. So, you know, being in the military, as we know, there's only a small percentage of men and women who serve. And in that environment, you have to be driven and motivated, both stateside and abroad. So for yourself, what is that it factor that motivates you each and every day to serve? 
to me, it's just wearing my uniform. And when wearing my uniform means a lot. You go way back. And every time I wear that uniform, you reflect on a lot of things. To me, being a veteran, military veteran, it's, I feel proud of my country. I, um, I felt that, you know, it's, I served in the military. No one will take that away from me. It's a membership being in the Air Force. And even I, I know I'm retiring soon. It's going to be inside of me and still in me. I've seen people who are retired and I talk to them. I think I'm the last one to retire out of my group or my friends. Even there are people, there are people that are not here. I met them throughout my career. There's a connection there. Even though they do different jobs, we reflect back and then we talk about stories when we were younger, we, when, when we were airmen. And um, during those times, we had good memories and bad memories, but then we are, at the end of the day, we were uh, glad that we're part of the military because it brought us all together. And um, no matter what I do, I always look into it because now my son, he just joined the Air Force early this year. Initially, he didn't want to join, and then I, I can blame him for that. But as a parent, you know uh, you know your children, right? You know uh, what's good for them. But I've heard, don't push your, you know, your children. But to me, I think as a parent, I know what he's capable of. And then just giving him hint that, you know, this will be a good for him. And so, so he did, yeah, he joined. We went to um, attend his basic training graduation in February. And they said that... You, when you see your child or your, your son or your daughter, that he or she will be a different person. And my son, he didn't really change much as, as far as discipline because I think being a military-to-military parents, he already got the discipline from <laughs> us. <laughs> uh, but one thing that I've, uh, I've seen him change, he became more social. Seeing him now, he's doing more than my husband did. He uh, joined the drill team, which is, to me, that's very intense when I was a young airman because you have to command a flight going to and back to school. They have a showcase, like a day to where they go in and then practice every day and then, and then participate. For example, there's, there was one last month. There were, they had an air show in uh, Kiesler. He's in Kiesler right now. So he was showcasing, and then he was on TV. And uh, because they were, you know, doing it's part of the air show, they have news, and then he showed me that. And then he's doing a lot of things as um, as a young airman in the military, which we've, my husband and I, we've never done it before. So I'm happy that, and I'm, we're proud of him that he's doing that. No, that's great. And, you know, it has to be such a wonderful feeling seeing him, kind of grow up and take flight of his own in the Air Force and then also becoming a responsible young man. Yes. So it has to be a lot of pride with you and your husband yes. when you see him and hear about all the great things he's done in just a short amount of time. Yes. And that's phenomenal. And I think that makes for a great transition, you know, to continue to talking about you and your journey. And I would like to talk about how you transition here to Farm Credit Services of America. So I have to ask first, did you know who we are and what our mission is before coming here? No, I have not heard in uh, Farm Credit Services of America okay. until I met you. Okay, so that's fair. So thank you. So 
Let's talk more about SkillBridge. So earlier I spoke about SkillBridge and we learned about the program and who it applies to and what some of the benefits are of participating in it. So can you please tell us what the process is like for yourself to be accepted within the SkillBridge program? We have to contact an organization or a company. We can just participate in SkillBridge. They have to accept us. And for this one, I I started in October, and uh, I didn't know where to go. My husband said, okay, you're so close to your 180 days. Where are you going? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and then that's when you showed up. <laughs> I think everything happens for a reason. When you showed up, and then I told my husband, I think I'm going to go with Farm Credit Services of America. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I know. I just know Chris is in that organization or in that company. And then my husband said, I, I don't know. You're not a farmer or you're not a rancher. I said, I'm just going to go in with, you know, open mind. Uh-huh. So, so throughout the process, I work with you because I'm your first participant for SkillBridge, correct? Yes. And um, I, I gave you a template. And then uh, similar to like application, I need to get that one approved by my commanding officer, which is our commander. And I'm so glad that he approved my SkillBridge. And then I it went through the process, they accepted it. And fast forward, I am here. Yes. And uh, being here, I've been doing a lot of reflections that I've never done when I was in the military. And um, not only in the military, but going back to me when I was a little kid. Because like I said a while ago, it's that's what I knew growing up in the Philippines. And I think of it much until I'm here in Farm Credit Services of America because it's now I understand where my parents are coming from. Going through the first week of uh, being here at Farm Credit Services of America, the culture, the vision, the mission. And at the end of the day, and I was like, oh, wow, this is now I understand where my parents are coming from. I grew up, you know, uh, with these values. And then with that values, um, I see how the, the organization operates. And then it's, to me, it's like a bigger scale when my experience as a little girl. It's the small cooperative and then the same intent or the purpose. I understand it now. Before, I always just went to my parents, just follow along, just because I, I love to eat. Even now, <laughs> I do love to eat. And then part of it is, you know, like you Farm Credit Services of America, you, this organization feed America. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, we all like to eat yeah, because absolutely. that's the that's the purpose is to feed America. And then, but behind that, there is a farm credit that provide financial funds to the farmers. And then again, going back to me growing up as a farmer, we don't always have, you know, funds to farm the land or whatever the case maybe is. And it's just so nice to see that I seek a lot of collaboration a lot of uh, building relationship. And then growing up, now going back, I was just sitting in the corner and I see my dad and my mom would talk to uh, people. And then in my mind, I said, hurry up, go, I'm hungry. <laughs> but then now, it's, it, it's their building relationship. And I sure. see that here. It's, it's just nice to see. I'm, um, to see that happen, knowing what the farm credit is doing to the customer, which are farmers, they mm-hmm. give back to the customer. And that's similar to what my parents were doing when I was sure. a little kid. Uh, there's always like the giving part, not only um, the customer, but also teammates. When I attend 
NTO or LEAD. I've been to a lot of training before in the military or even self-development. But then this one right here, I received training and there's, there's follow-up. To me, whatever the course is, they preach and then they practice. And uh, just this morning, I was talking to the NTL, my, my group. We were talking about the last month after our um, newcomer's orientation. And we're still feeling the same. We're learning a lot. And it's just nice to see that we're still happy. And then we're, they said that they're learning. I'm learning, too. And I told them I only have two weeks left for my skill bridge. And I'm going to miss them. I'm going to miss this organization. It, I'm just happy to be here. You know, it's... Uh, doing some reflection and then learning so much from the experts from HR because that's what my uh, uh, profession is, HR. I want to learn more about HR in the civilian world because that's what I'm heading to. Being here, it's it's very welcoming. Uh, the very first day I came in and it was the National Employee Day and um, I was like, oh, why? It's t totally different. <laughs> People here are very friendly. I remember going to a booth where I said, oh, I like this, right? And then you have to play a game. And then I didn't get that game, but they still gave me the the, the gift. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. And uh, we have free food. You know, we get to watch a movie during work hours. <laughs> Which <laughs> I said, oh, this is, you know, this is different. Like, that doesn't happen in the Air Force. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And uh, every week I've learned so much, especially from the HR team, willing to share their knowledge, their expertise. And uh, they do that without anything in return. And uh, they, they always included me. It's, I felt like I'm, it's, I'm included in every part of it. Ashley, she's my supervisor here, and uh, she always makes sure that I'm doing something, that I'm always included. And I think it's important, too, because all the things that you just identified really encompass everything that we have in our we are statements. And that's the thing that we don't just put them out there, but we actually follow through with those commitments and those beliefs and practices that we have. And it's so refreshing to hear you describe that with your exposure and the time that you've had with us here. What I would like to do is to talk a little bit more about the team that you've been, well, I'm going to use a military word, embedded with, during your time here with SkillBridge. What team, what kind of programs have you had exposure to? What have you learned? For the HR, I've learned compensation and benefits, HRIS, HRBP, and um, talent acquisition, and as well as ODL in credit operations. And um, throughout the whole process of learning things, one thing that I've learned is that each individual, they have this passion, this passion about being in this organization. One good example is I was talking to Felicity and Olga, and the way they express themselves, Olga said um, she has so much uh, respect for farmers. She's not a farmer or anything, but when she noticed, you know, like the application or the historical she said that the farmers, they're very understanding of um, their gains or losses. And then she was able to tell, you know, the history of um, what happened in the 1980s with the crisis. And um, she has this passion, even though 
she um, she can talk. She's fine, and she's she has accounting background. But in explaining the purpose or the mission, or or even with the customer where they're coming from, it's so much more just processing paperwork. And it's one thing about you know having that purpose or uh, passion about what you do. It's it, it's very inspiring. That's great. And I appreciate you sharing that. You know, I know I would speak for myself. It's been so wonderful to have you here. You know, our Skill Bridge program, it's taken a lot of people to put all this together and get it across the finish line. And then we bring a rock star here to the organization who just goes above and beyond. And all of us who have had any little role to play in the Skill Bridge program are so proud to have you here. And the contributions that you've made in a short amount of time. But what makes really what makes it so rewarding is you and your your positive attitude. Your personality resonates so powerfully with so many people. And I personally can't thank you enough for taking us up on this opportunity to come here. I just want to say, you know, thank you again for giving us a chance because you have really made a difference, and we're very grateful. Uh, I would like to thank everybody that's listening to this right now for taking the time to listen to Lelaine's story, and I hope you can hear the passion and enthusiasm that she's expressed throughout this podcast. And finally, I want to put a plug in for episode number two. This is one that you're not going to want to miss. Thank you, and have a great day. 